You're listening to the weekly sermon podcast from Ridgecrest Baptist Church in Springfield, Missouri. To connect with us or learn more, visit us online at ridgecrestbaptist.org. We have a great, great opportunity now as we begin in the book of Acts. I can't wait to share these sermons with you. And Acts begins in chapter 1, verse 1, so why don't we turn there? So if you will, please stand. Stand with me as we stand upon the solid rock of God's Word, and we'll find ourselves here in Acts chapter 1. God's Word says, In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up, after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. He presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me, for John baptized with water. Now listen to this. But you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Let's pray. Father, we ask that you will give us that baptism. May we know your power, and God, may this new year bring with it new possibilities as we die to self and as we live unto you. God, we need power. We need the Holy Spirit's power to preach this beautiful gospel message, Jesus. So give it to us, we pray, and help us to see the way forward as you see fit. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. And you may be seated. With a new year, we begin to think of what's next, the dream that God has for us as individuals, perhaps we as, as family members, putting our family into that equation. What does God want for our family? Obviously, we would do the same thing with the church. What does God want to do with our church? I think it's important that the church learns to dream again, and that word dream signifies that there's something more than ordinary. Now, my dreams are not ordinary. They're very weird. Um, your dreams are probably weird like that, too. A dream is, is something that's uh, uh, over the top. So I want to have that thought in your mind. When I'm talking about the dream that God has for his people, I'm not talking about something down here. I'm talking about something way up here where God is at work. I believe the church needs to get that in their mind. And I think we have settled for something less. I think we are uh, happy with just having a, a church that's plugging along and relatively healthy, and that's all well and good. But I want to throw something out to you. This morning, the Lord laid this thought upon my heart. If I use the adverb worldly, most of us will immediately connect that word with sinful behavior, some sort of overt sinful behavior. That's what we mean when we say you're being worldly. But what if that concept is far more, in, uh, far more broad than we give it credit? What if worldliness is no more, no less than the church trying to do its work like the world does? 
Now, it's not necessarily black and white sin that I'm talking about here, but when we think about the dream for the church, we think money or we think a certain kind of activity or action. Uh, many times we're using the models of the corporate world or we're, we're talking about growth as if we were running a company. All that, again, is not necessarily evil, but it could be classified as worldly. When we come to the book of Acts, we see something out of this world transpiring. We see common people who have common gifts being filled with a power that is uncommon. And my hope and prayer is that the church will begin to dream that sort of dream and that we will begin to go in a direction, not that the world would understand or even appreciate but that we would go in a direction that would honor the Lord, our God. When we come to the book of Acts, you know, we think, what's in a title? Uh, my book here, my, my Bible says, The Acts of the Apostles. Now, when we think about the title of a book, it can be very helpful. It can tell us what we're going to be reading. I read a book not too long ago, ago called Daily Life in Ancient Rome. Guess what that's about? Listen, if you need something to go to sleep at night, I, I, I highly recommend it. Carcapino is a genius, but he's boring. <laughs> Another book, Gilead by uh, Robinson. I don't know if you've heard of this book. It was published a few years ago. It's a masterful story, but you're not going to get anything out of that title. You need to go read the book, and I highly recommend you go read the book, Gilead by Robinson. When we come to this book, it seems like it's more like the former book. It's kind of telling us what's going on, the Acts of the Apostles. If we take that title at face value, then what we are going to assume is that we're getting the history of the early church. And if we were to assume that, that would be somewhat correct. In fact, it is in the book of Acts, about 20% of it are the sermons and dialogue of those early apostles. That is historically valuable information. But something tells me if we spend a good deal of time going through 28 chapters of the book of Acts and all we talk about are the historical implications and ramifications, I've already bored you with that one sentence. Too many big words. We don't need another history lesson. And so what I want you to hear, and I hope you don't think I'm a heretic in saying it, I'd like to rename the book. In fact, I'm not the first to do this. The early church father, Chrysostom, did something similar. This is not the Acts of the Apostles. This book is the Acts of the Holy Spirit through the Apostles. Watch out, Baptists. Here we go. It's not about the men and women of the book. It's about the God who's at work through the men and women of the book. And I believe that that same power is accessible and available to us. I wouldn't waste your time with history lessons, but I will spend some time with you begging with you, pleading to the Father for us to have a power that is bigger and better than anything in this world. We need this. This book gives us the acts of the Holy Spirit through the apostles. The history is solid, but the spiritual message is even better because it tells us about a power like no other. And if you look at our text, we see it right there. Jesus is telling us, he's telling us that all that Jesus began to do and teach 
Um, that's what, look at that word began in that verse. That means it was just getting started. What Jesus did in his three years of ministry was the beginning of something. And we are still part of that story. Jesus said in John 14, 12, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do and greater works than these will he do. Are you hearing me, church? Jesus has said, Luke tells us here in Acts 1, that the church, the people of God, are endowed with a great power to do a great work in the world. And this task that we have is so important, so needful in the world, that the worst thing we could do is to get worldly with it. Instead of being worldly, we need to look at it biblically. And we need not be afraid of the third person of the Trinity because it is the Holy Spirit that gives us this power. And I'm going to show you how that, that is, is taught in these five verses and how we're not having a conversation here outside the realm of what Baptist expectation should be. This is right where we should be and always will be, and that is a church powered by the Spirit of Jesus. When I read the book of Acts, I am amazed at how the early Christians pushed into the darkness and it seems like they overcame it everywhere they went. But the darkness the early church faced, quite frankly, is no different. It is the same darkness that we are facing today. How can we defeat the darkness in our age? Is there any power within us, humanly speaking, that can defeat the darkness? No, there is not. But if we are a people infused with the power of God's kingdom, we will then overcome the darkness. And that is what we are going to make the argument for today and for many days hence. We believe that the Holy Spirit makes the difference. That we should be asking God to fill us with this power. There is nothing wrong with that. The book's main purpose is to show us that the church in all ages, what happens in the church of all ages when the Holy Spirit is leading us and empowering us? I think the Spirit is the secret. And it seems to be one that many churches have forgotten about. We are not asking God to move among us, and he isn't in many places. As we get into these first two chapters of Acts, what we see is we see a very clear picture of the Spirit at work. And as the Spirit works through people, those people are devoted to certain things, okay? Um, and that's what we're going to focus on in the first two chapters. What were the apostles devoted to? What did the Spirit lead them to focus on? So in our first little mini-series in the series, we're going to ask that question, what were they devoted to? Because I'm going to say what they were devoted to, it would be very wise for us to be devoted to. Why? Because to change the world, we need the Holy Spirit. Today we're going to talk about that. Let's begin, though, with the life and work of Jesus. One of the worst things we can do when we're talking about the Holy Spirit is disconnect the Holy Spirit from Jesus and God the Father. There's no need to do that. When we're talking about the power of the Holy Spirit, we're talking about something that is united to and connected to the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit. Both the Gospel of Luke and the book of Acts are written by Luke. And they are written to a man named Theophilus, which just simply translates one who loves God or lover of God. 
So good old Theo, we don't know if, who he was, but he is addressed as most excellent, so we think that he was perhaps a very powerful person, a wealthy person. That kind of language was not used in a flippant sense. You didn't use that language unless you were speaking to nobility. So it's very likely that Luke is writing to a person of, of prominence and privilege. We know that he had at least some sort of wealth or royal standing. And what's interesting is, is that here in these first couple of verses, what Luke does is he folds together 20 chapters of his gospel. So when you read verses 1 and 2, basically what you're getting there, um, actually into verse 3 as well, you're getting 20 chapters of scripture folded in, and some of you are saying, Pastor, why can't you fold like that? I don't know. Maybe in 50 years I'll figure that out. But nonetheless, the gospel of Luke, um, it aims that all, to tell us all that Jesus began to do and teach. That's what we see in the book of Luke. Now, Acts is going to show us how Jesus' spirit, the Holy Spirit, would work through his apostles to continue the ministry of doing and teaching miracles and instruction. I want you to know, the church is called to preach the gospel, but it is also called to exhibit a power in this world, a power that changes lives. Those who are going down the wrong path uh, do a 180 when Jesus' power enters in. The sick, the lame, the hurting, those who are psychologically and spiritually bruised find healing in the power of Jesus. And that power comes to us via the Holy Spirit. Let me say this. Nothing new happens in the book of Acts as it relates to teaching or power. Now think about this. When we look at the book of Acts, we are going to notice that the people who heard the disciples preach said, you know, that sounds a lot like Jesus. Read Acts 4.13. Also, the power to work miracles was the same as Jesus. Look at Acts 5.15. Throughout the book, what you're going to see is the people who had been in the unique position to have heard and saw Jesus, when they heard and saw the apostles, they noticed that there wasn't anything different. It was the same message, and it was the same power. And I want to argue, not with you in some negative way, but I want to convince you that this is a gift to the church today. We should sound like Jesus when we preach and teach, and we should have power to change the world as Jesus did. I'm praying that we will see that. The secret was never meant to be or remain a secret. It's the power that God has given us. In the life and work of Jesus, that power is available to all of Christ's followers, and Acts will show this again and again and again. We know that Jesus was filled with the Holy Spirit, Luke 4.1. When he faced temptation, he overcame it. He then returns to Galilee with power, Luke 4.14. The power was felt in Galilee, and many people were healed, chapter 4, verse 31, through chapter 7, verse 49. Now, what I'm doing there is saying to you, Jesus himself determines to go to a place where he can get alone with God and be filled with the Spirit. Even after, though, Jesus rose from the dead, notice verse 2. He had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. The preaching of the resurrected Jesus was Holy Spirit-powered. Do you see that? 
So the Spirit powered Jesus' message before the cross, but it also powered the message after the cross. Interesting, right? Now, look at this. To fully understand Jesus' message, we need the Holy Spirit to breathe on us, as we are told in John 20, 22. When the Spirit breathes on us, we can connect the dots in our heart, and we can be more connected to the Father's love. I think it's important for you guys to hear this. We need God to breathe on us. Life seems like a sucker punch, and we lose our breath. The only way we can get our breath back is when the Spirit breathes into us. We can't teach, we can't preach, we can't lead, we can't serve apart from the Holy Spirit's empowering presence. We want God to move in our church. And the Spirit is just connecting us more intimately with the works of Jesus. His words and deeds are braided into our lives by the Holy Spirit. You know what I mean by a braid? Uh, when, when you take your little girl with her long hair and you and make that beautiful braid, I think that that's what Jesus wants to do, what the Holy Spirit can do for us, can braid into us the, the, the words and deeds of Jesus. That's what the Spirit does. The life of Jesus becomes your life, and it motivates you. And so the life of Jesus is the starting point. But also, let's talk for just a moment about the resurrection of Jesus. Here we are talking about the Holy Spirit, but the life and ministry of Jesus and then the cross and the resurrection of Jesus are key. And we see this in the text in verse 3. He presented himself, notice this, this is helpful, he presented himself alive. This is a guy who had been killed on a cross. You remember that part of the story, right? He had been killed on a cross. So it says he shows up alive, which right there, that's something different. And he shows up to them, presents himself alive to them after his sufferings by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. This is important. A dead man comes back from the grave and he's preaching, quite frankly, the same gospel he was preaching before. The message has not changed. Salvation was and is and always will be in Jesus when we think about historical figures, every single one of them have a born date and a die date, right? Uh, we know that they live and they die, and that's the end of their journey. But the Christian story is so much different because we have our Lord who taught us during those gospel exploits that we can see in the four gospels, but his teaching doesn't stop when his heart did because he was raised from the dead, amen? His heart beat again with resurrection power. He rose up and he was preaching the same message. Nothing needed to change other than the reality of salvation had then come upon the people because the sacrifice had been made and the power of life was bestowed to the people of God. That's the only thing that changed was that what Jesus talked about in the future tense, he began to preach there in the book of Acts about what had happened the power was available. And after his sufferings, he taught about the kingdom of God. The most concise telling of this kingdom of God language is in 1 Corinthians 15, 4 through 8. If you want to see the essence of the kingdom of God, look at what Paul preaches in 1 Corinthians 15, 4 through 8. It is the basic story that Jesus lived and he died and he rose again. And when he rose again, he was seen by many, many people, his disciples and others. 
This concise telling of the gospel is what we need to make as our central message, the centerpiece of all we do. It is not something we don't need to have mastery over every theological idea. Friends, we need to be better at just telling people about the kingdom of God. And the only way that we're going to do that well is if we are spirit-filled. The power that is mentioned here, this power that is described, is a power from God, a power from heaven, a power that invades this world. Paul speaks of it in Romans 1.4. He says that Jesus was declared to be the Son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. Paul's phrase, spirit of holiness, fits well into verse 3 because we see in Acts 1.3, the spirit of holiness is what Jesus brings and that is a message and it is also a, an ability that he gives to his disciples to be difference makers in the lives of people. When we believe in Jesus' message and we pray and receive Jesus' truth, we become far more powerful than we could ever be before. And here's what I was saying earlier. When we think about serving a church and serving a community, we can do that with money and manpower. But we cannot really be what Jesus wants us to be. We will not experience what they experienced in the book of Acts if that's all we have. If worldly power is the beginning and the end, we will only maintain the church at best. But when we believe that God speaks and moves and works through us, that we can have the power of resurrection life, the power of the Spirit. You see, death appears to dominate in this world, but the Christian message claims to speak of a power much greater than death. Keep this in mind. What I'm talking about, think about whatever situation you want in your life or in your sphere of influence. Think about the biggest problem you're facing. Maybe a loved one who is uh, uh, just a slave to addiction. Maybe uh, what's going on in Ukraine with that war and your heart is broken because so many people are suffering and we can't get our children adopted here in this country. All those things. Whatever it is that comes to your mind, whatever challenge we face, I want you to think about that just for a moment and realize this. If the power of God was able to defeat death, whatever your problem is, God's power can defeat that also. Do not settle for anything less than the power of God in your life. Do not pray weekly. Do not, and I mean weekly, not as in every week, but W-E-A-K, right? Weekly. Don't pray as a weak person. Maybe I should have said it that way. Don't pray as a weak person because you're not weak if you have Jesus. He is strong, and we need to trust in him the one before whom every knee shall bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. Believe in him, trust in him, the resurrected Jesus. And that brings us to verses four and five. What does it look like for the Holy Spirit to be present in the present age? I wanna show you something fun here in the text. Um, it's, it's, it's a little detail, but it is interesting. Um, Luke 24, 41 uh, it's a great story. If we go back to the Gospel of Luke, Jesus comes back in resurrected form. You know, their, their mouths are dropped down and they're like, 
you're alive, you know, there's all these things. And it's so funny because Jesus says, hey, you guys got anything to eat? If you ever wondered if Jesus and the disciples were Baptists, here's the proof. He comes back from the dead and he's looking for a potluck. Need I say more? Now what ties uh, that with this is right there in verse 4. Notice in the ESV it says, And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem. But the word in the original language isn't stay. It actually is a word that means he was eating with them. He was, he was fellowship with him. The word can mean exactly what it's translated here. In fact, that's the most general way to translate it. But it means more than just staying. It means that he was having dinner with them. He was interacting with them. There was intimacy of fellowship. You know, we in the church, we can come here on a Sunday morning and shake each other's hands and say how we're doing. But if we really want to know what's going on in each other's lives, we probably need to sit down to a meal, at least and have conversation and be able to go back and forth and really find out what's going on in our hearts. Listen, Jesus loves you enough that he's not going to do a hit and run, brothers and sisters. He wants to come and have fellowship with you. And he has fellowship with you. And every single one of us, you know, I think about as a pastor, there's so many of you. It'd be great if we could all have lunch, but I'm already struggling a little bit to keep weight off. That's a lot of lunch, okay? So I'm limited in that way, but realize the Holy Spirit has no limits in your prayer, in your Bible study. If you will sit down, I just love some of the old uh, masters of prayer. They used to uh, set out two cups of coffee, um, one that wouldn't be even drank. It would just be uh, the understanding that God was there, that Jesus was with them. We need to have that kind of fellowship and intimacy with Jesus. We believe that he will come and stay with us. And he says that we need to be patient. Notice verse 4. We are, are the disciples were to wait for the promise of the Father. Now, this is important too. Jesus comes and he's been teaching them for three years. He's been hanging out with them in resurrected form. This is all pretty cool stuff. You would think that they were ready. It's time to go. But he puts the brakes on it. Do you see this? You would think they're ready, but he says, no, you wait until you go to that upper room. You wait until you get the promise of the Father. Wait until, quite frankly, you get the Holy Spirit. That's what verse 5 tells us. Now, that ought to get our attention. Men who had literally walked with Jesus and saw his miracles needed more power than was within them. They needed something more. Jesus says, wait. It's not just about going out there and baptizing, folks. Verse 5, it's about you being filled with the Holy Spirit. And another way that you can say that is being baptized in the Spirit. I know that some denominations take that and go in other directions. But I want you to just see it as a simple command. It's a simple command. It's not talking about somebody being better than another person, which I don't think any of us would ever think that. But there is a difference between a person who knows Jesus. Many of us in this room know Jesus. But how many of us have been filled with the Spirit that we have at times in our lives been able to say and do things that we know were were helped out and accentuated by this amazing power from God? I want to say this. That has to become less of a... Uh, uh, you know, like an accident or something that doesn't happen that much, and it needs to become a more regular part of our walk. These individuals 
were dependent upon the Holy Spirit. In fact, Jesus depended on the Holy Spirit. The disciples had to depend on the Holy Spirit. So why would it be any different for you and I? We must depend on the Holy Spirit. God uses common men and women to do his miraculous work. The impossible is made possible when people filled with the Holy Spirit begin to believe. We have all that we need. If you are in here and you believe, as we're about to experience with the Lord's table, that Jesus died for our sins and rose again to new life, then you have all that it takes to be filled with the Spirit. Jesus is in your heart. Now we need to plug into some power because the world needs to hear about Jesus. We can be filled with this power, but we have to submit our hearts. The world needs the radical power of the Holy Spirit. This world needs you filled with the radical power of the Holy Spirit, and that only happens when we humble ourselves, when we ask God, his Spirit, to move among us. Verse 5 ends by saying this, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. My prayer is that this command given to the original disciples turned apostles, my prayer is that these words will become true for you, operative in our lives. Let's hear it again. But you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. What that means, my friend, is that if you are hungry for God, if your heart longs to know the mystery, it's not a mystery that you'll be able to articulate because you figure out God. There is a way in which we take the word and we take the promises and we live the word and live those promises. I'm not talking about any words or actions outside the scope of Scripture. When God begins to work in our hearts, it'll look a lot like the book of Acts. When God begins to do great things, he's not going to reinvent the wheel here or anywhere else. God's power is all we need. And let me bring that down. God's power is what you need. And if you don't know anything about God's power, it's time to start praying for it because it needs to be true for you that the love of Jesus, the love of God the Father expressed through Jesus empowers us by way of the Holy Spirit. God is telling us that the Spirit is the secret. It's not a well-kept secret. It is right here in the text. But I'm going to tell you, it almost seems like a secret because, again, so much of what we're trying to do It has the feel of worldliness. We're trying to lead and to think like the world. We're hoping that our pastor can be clever enough. Well, let me just say, there's no way. Pastor or pastors, we are not clever enough. We are not strong enough. Our limits are very real. But what the scriptures are telling us is, is that we are not dependent on the leader's knowledge or strength. We are all instead able to tap into the power of the Holy Spirit. I invite you to consider as we begin this journey, what does that mean for you? Are you ready to let God take you beyond where you're at to that next level? He'll do it. Let's pray that he will. Heavenly Father. Thanks for listening. For additional resources, to learn more about us or get connected, visit RidgecrestBaptist.org.